Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn. And this is episode 79 of the On the Banks podcast. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11. And you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well, at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you enjoy what we do with the On The Banks podcast, make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us just by searching On The Banks. As we get ready for the return of Rutgers Sports, make sure to check out OnTheBanks.com for all your Rutgers news, opinions, and information on every game and everything happening during the week. With the return of Rutgers football, I am excited to let you know that once again, beginning this coming Tuesday, October 20th, we will be bringing you our weekly game preview on the On the Banks podcast. Each week, I will be joined by someone who covers the Scarlet Knights, as well as someone who covers the opponent, to discuss the previous game as well as the upcoming one. This coming episode, of course, on Tuesday, we'll be previewing Game 1 against Michigan State next Saturday. But for episode 79 right now, it's all about previewing this overall season. Joining me now on the podcast to preview the 2020 season for Rutgers football that's coming just over a week away is the managing editor of our great site on the banks, Aaron Brightman. Aaron, thanks so much for joining me, for coming on. And I'm excited that we finally get to talk some Rutgers football with now the first game literally only just over a week away. I didn't think it would ever happen, but yet here we are. And, you know, Rutgers football is getting ready to take on Michigan State. It's such a weird time right now, Lance. Thanks so much for having me back. And uh, it is uh, certainly a welcome uh, development to be able to talk about football again. Uh, and and get ready for an actual season. It does feel like the Twilight Zone a little bit, or maybe the alternate reality that happened in Back to the Future. Just <laughs> you know, we, we've we've never seen anything like this. We never will again. I I hope in our lifetimes, just in terms of how uh, the handling of of sports and you know obviously uh, the pandemic worldwide, but just how it's affected college sports specifically. Um, you know, uh, with Rutgers having no practice time at all. You know, not even getting a roster until 11 days out of the season, um, until the season began. It, it certainly is a unique situation. Um, but, yes, it's, it's very exciting to be able to know that in less than two weeks we'll be able to watch a Rutgers football game once again and with the official marking the official return of, of Greg Schiano. So let's kind of first talk about how we got here, right? Because the Big Ten throughout this whole process, obviously one of the two conferences that decided originally – to cancel slash postpone the 2020 season, right? The Big Ten and the Pac-12 decided to not go forward with it at its usual start date. Um, The SEC, the Big 12, and the uh, ACC, uh, the other three Power Five conferences, were the ones who decided to, you know what, we're going to start on time, and we're going to finish on time, and we're going to deal with, you know, issues as they arise, which they clearly have, you know, there's clearly been a lot of issues that have arisen um, with game cancellations and game post, uh, game postponements. We'll get to that a little bit later. But the 
Big Ten and the Pac-12 were the two teams or the two conferences that decided not to start at the original start time. But the Big Ten specifically, look, they've kind of been going back and forth really since they decided to move the season back, right? We saw a couple days before they officially announced that the season was going to move back, we saw them release a schedule. And, and, and then they ultimately decided to move the season back, postpone it, cancel it, whatever you want it to be. Um, and, and, you know, then we were all kind of in limbo. Well, these other three conferences are playing. Why can't the Big Ten play? Well, the NFL is playing. Why can't the Big Ten play? And then ultimately, you know, with, with pushing from student-athletes, with pushing from coaches, with seeing how the other conferences were doing, the Big Ten decided to reverse course and ultimately play. And I think they've kind of put themselves into a little bit of a hole because they're looked at as the conference that, you know, they're just not looked at with a lot of legitimacy right now. Kevin Warren, obviously beginning his tenure as Big Ten commissioner, going back and forth in probably what will be the toughest decision he'll ever have to make as Big Ten commissioner, going back and forth just doesn't look good. But yet we're here. The Big Ten does decide to play. They're going to be playing starting on uh, on October 24th, just over a week from today. And, you know, Rutgers is getting set to play Michigan State. So with all the back and forth, you know, ultimately we've come to a conclusion and we're playing, but there was just so much going on and, and so much so many, you know, ups and downs for the Big Ten to ultimately get here to start playing football. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, certainly uh, Kevin Warren was in an extremely difficult uh, situation. Also, really, you know, he's an NFL guy taking over for a commissioner in, in, in Jim Delaney that I, I think did a very good job with the Big Ten and really elevated the brand over the years. And I think it, it was just poor communication, poor execution of a plan. You know, I'm, I'm on record as saying I agreed with the initial decision in August, and I, I stand by that. And I, I think that, you know, the way the Big Ten approached it, though, really set themselves up for failure. You know, after they announced that they were postponing the fall season, Kevin Warren issued a statement about a week later saying definitively things would not be um, reevaluated, that it was not happening. And I think that was really the key error um, in addition to not getting all the presidents, all the athletic directors, all the coaches in a virtual room and everyone essentially on board. Um, and you saw how kind of a lack of relationships and lack of respect really hurt him in the, in the public eye with coaches and, and, and others rebelling on social media. Um, but I think, you know, if he had said, listen, we're going to evaluate this thing as it goes, it's an evolving situation, and you know, a month from now, we're going to look at things again, which is essentially what happened. Um, I think the, the perception of how the Big Ten handled it would be looked upon much more favorably than it is. Um, so I think that was a key error uh, and rookie mistake that really is going to probably uh, stay with him his whole career. Um, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's going to sink his long-term viability as commissioner, but it certainly hasn't helped him uh, in the short term. But uh, I, I think your key point is that uh, yeah, now we're looking at a, a mid-October start uh, or late-October start where the margin for error is so small. Uh, and, you know, also I think is in addition to the fact that uh, there's COVID concerns in terms of, you know, the 21-day uh, sit-out clause um, and all that is, is the fact that, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of injuries this year uh, with, with, with off-season workouts being disjointed, no spring practice, no traditional training camp. Um, it, it's certainly going to, the Big Ten's going to need a lot to go right uh, for the season not to become disjointed and, and, and really, uh, you know, become an issue and, and, and almost make people wonder why did they, you know, did they cross the line uh, of the point of no return that they just shouldn't have uh, done. But obviously, financially, revenue-wise, that was the driver of this. I think the daily testing was the game changer. Um, but again, it, that's not a perfect uh, system either. So it's it certainly set up more questions and answers than how this season's going to go, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yeah, and you know, you said it. Everything really has to go right for the Big Ten in order for this to work. They set up a eight-game schedule in nine weeks. So as we've seen in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Twelve, where games have been canceled, games have been postponed um, because of you know COVID outbreaks, you know, throughout teams. 
if that happens in the Big Ten, you know, the, the one thing that the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 has is they have time, right? They had time to stretch it out. You know, they were originally planning on, I think, playing a 10-game schedule or whatever it was. So if they lose a game or two here, it's not the end of the world. But if you lose a game or two or three in an eight-game schedule, you go from eight games now down to six games or down to five games, right? And only playing them in a nine-week season, you don't have time to possibly reschedule. So if Rutgers, for example... I don't think it will happen, and I hope it won't happen, but let's say hypothetically either Rutgers or Michigan State has an outbreak prior to this game. There really is no room to reschedule this first game. If this game first game can't be played, or any first game in the first week of the Big Ten season, that game's basically done, and then those two Big Ten teams are now down to seven games. And if that outbreak lasts, like you said, it's the 21-day sit-out, they could possibly be down to six games. So the Big Ten really needs everything to go right. They really need hypothetically, no positive tests from any of these schools in order for this to work or, or one or two here and there that doesn't end up resulting in an outbreak. Because if there's an outbreak on any team, the Big Ten is going to be in a really tough position where those teams then go seven games or go six games or go five games. And at that point, you're losing half your season. You said it at that point. What's the point of playing? Maybe they've started too late. Maybe they're at the point of no return where, you know, this could turn into a really a huge debacle for the Big Ten if this doesn't go according to plan. Well, I think the most disappointing thing, I mean, obviously from a financial perspective, it, you know, you understand why they wanted to have a season. I think the impact that it has on athletic departments overall, you've already seen other Big Ten um, athletic departments make cuts to Olympic sports. I think, you know, that's obviously, um, uh, you're even seeing departments around the, around the country, you know, cutting SIDs and communication staff. So it's, it's certainly, um, you know, a, a very frightening proposition that I think the pandemic has has created for departments and universities that they probably never envisioned having to deal with. Um, so, you know, in, in that sense, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that the season's happening. But like you said, I think it's, it's wishful thinking hiccups along the way. And I think that that's, you know, you're going to see that um, come into play in terms of how, you know, uh, for example, Graciano the season with his roster, um, how he maybe is going to be um, a little more experimental uh, with, with who's on the field versus maybe years past, I think, in, in a way, you kind of have to look at this as, you know, um, it, it, it's really a dress rehearsal to, to, to season. Um, I think that, you know, with all the players uh, not losing eligibility for playing this season, um, I, I think for a program like Rutgers on, uh, on looking uh, to rebuild, um, and Shiana's return, it's, it's, it's really about anything that positive happens is the bonus. Um, I think anything negative that happens, you know, uh, we're all fans and week to week, I'm sure we'll get caught up into it, so to speak, but really doesn't have uh, a long-term impact. It's really just focusing on what positives do happen from this season. Um, and there are just so many challenges and unknowns about what they're going to have to deal with. Uh, I, I think you have to harp on, on anything positive that comes out of it. It's going to make it worthwhile. Most definitely. And like you said, you know, no one loses a year of eligibility. So a lot of the same players we see this season, this eight game season, even if they're seniors, we could, you know, very well see next year, depending on what happens with the draft or what happens with their career post football. Um, but let's start talking about this roster because it did come out recently. Um, and there were quite a few surprises on it. I think the biggest two in my eyes were the return of Alorm Loomer, who, you know, declared for the draft, but because of this COVID world that we're living in where um, his pro day got canceled and um, a lot of uh, individual workouts with teams got canceled. Um, he didn't get drafted. I don't believe had many interest, uh, much interest, excuse me, from NFL teams and with the new waiver and, and players who declare for the draft, if they don't get drafted, you know, being able to come back, he, you know, used that to his advantage and now he's back with Rutgers. And the other one was obviously uh, Mike Lonsdorf um, opting out, which, you know, it was a big hit to the offensive line, a position that's already you can consider one of the weaker positions on the team or, or least experienced positions on the team. I think those were the two biggest surprises to me. I think Lumore, obviously a positive one, Lonsdorf more of a negative one. Um, there were a couple others obviously sprinkled in as well, you know, other sit outs, um, you know, to take note of. But, you know, those two were the biggest that stood out to me that I think could really make a difference both positively and negatively for the roster this upcoming season. Yeah, I agree. Those two are certainly the most notable. I think um, while both are um, somewhat significant, I don't think either is uh, a game changer, so to speak. Uh, I think Loomer, obviously, was tied with the, you know, he had, had the t uh, most sacks in the team last year, tied with Rashawn Battle. Um, certainly showed some promise at times. I think uh, 
as with a lot of the talent returning on this team, I'm excited to see how the new coaching staff utilizes that talent. I, you know, Loomer is a case of, you know, uh, maybe wasn't utilized the best uh, with the previous staff. So I am curious to see how he fits in. Um, certainly, you know, defensive line is, is a, uh, uh, an area that Rutgers has to get a lot better in. So having him back is, is certainly big. Um, but I also don't expect him to, you know, he, he, he's not necessarily an uh, all-Big Ten type talent. Um, but I think, you know, with Shiano's defense, he'll, he'll take any any piece that can uh, So having Loomer back is obviously, um, you know, a, a good thing. I think Lonsdorf, yeah, obviously with the offensive line, you know, and I wrote about it today, it's um, an area of concern. Uh, Coach Shiano talked about it yesterday on the call um, and, you know, certainly didn't shy away from the fact that they're, they're really trying to figure out uh, all the different pieces that they have on the line. Lonsdorf, you know, he started 12 games the last two seasons combined. Um, so he wasn't a, uh, you know, entrenched in a starting role. I think it was very possible he kind of would have been the sixth uh, six linemen uh, out of the five. So, um, but but again, depth is going to be a major concern this season. So uh, certainly takes a hit there. Um, but I think that they have some some intriguing younger talent. Um, and I think the move with Brendan Bordner moving over from the defensive line. Um, you know, he's a guy out of Ohio that that Shiano's known for a while. Uh, he's a, he's a big tough guy. It's going to be very interesting to see how he fits in. I think that you know this late in his career, you don't make that type of move. Um, unless you think there's an opportunity to really uh, make an impact right away. So, you know, who knows? He could work his way into the rotation or even a starting spot. But I think, you know, with guys like uh, Raquan O'Neal back um, and Nick Crimmon, uh, and, and um, I, I think that there is some stability there. But, yeah, Lonsdorf out uh, certainly hurts from a depth perspective. And the Elorum Loomer one really intrigued me because you look at the defensive line, and obviously that's been a position that Chiano and the staff have really harped on this past offseason trying to get better. Obviously, they brought in a lot of uh, transfers, both grad transfers and, you know, multi-year ones. You look at, you know, Malik Barrow, um, Michael Dwumfor, uh, Ireland Burke, Aaron Lewis, of course, from Michigan. The three I mentioned first in Burke, um, uh, Dwumfor, and Michael Barrow um, those are all, uh, Malik Barrow, excuse me, those are all interior defensive linemen. Aaron Lewis, the one edge defensive lineman that they brought, uh, that they brought in from Michigan, it would be hard to ask, because he still is, you know, really a true freshman, it would be hard to ask a freshman to come in, as good as he is, you know, four-star talent, you know, one of the most coveted players, not only in New Jersey, uh, but in really the country a couple years ago, just actually a year ago, um, it's hard to ask him to make such a big impact in his first year. What Loomer brings back is that edge experience presence that you could put alongside like a Mike Tverdov where you don't have to ask so much of Lewis. Look, if Lewis comes out and he's an absolute stud and, you know, he's a guy who racks up seven, eight sacks this season, then fantastic. And you play him every single down. But with how unlikely that is to happen as, as a freshman in the Big Ten, having that experienced guy in Loomer back to help build that depth on the exterior of the defensive line while you really built that interior of the defensive line I think it helps really balance out the group as a whole and makes it so that you don't have to put as much on Aaron Lewis's shoulders so early in his career that's an excellent point I, I think two things I just want to add one um, you know uh, Coach Yana was directly asked yesterday about the eligibility of the transfers um, obviously you know a lot of uh, potential uh, high impact transfers were added um, from Power Five programs and, and five from the Big Ten, um, and he, he declined to comment right now. So we don't actually know specifically. There has been stuff previously reported, but we don't know officially who's eligible, who's not. But obviously, like you said, there's some guys uh, dumped for and uh, um, you know from Michigan on the defensive line that could be a big impact this year. Uh, but we'll find out uh, this coming Monday when the depth charts release uh, who's eligible or not. Um, but then to your point with, with Loomer, I think that the, the real positive, too, is that, you know, this coaching staff, the more options they have, the better in terms of their being able to be creative um, and, and kind of versatile. I think, you know, with the defense this year, you're going to see a lot more aggressive play calling. You're going to see different looks. You know, are they going to be a 4-3? Are they going to be a 3-4? You know, could it change week to week? We really don't know. Um, so I think having a guy back with Loomer obviously gives them more options to, to change things up, um, like you said. So uh, for sure, uh, definitely a welcome addition. Um, I just think, you know, expectations need to be kept in check as well. 
Um, I, I don't expect him to come out and have a 10-sack season and make all Big Ten second team, but uh, certainly uh, a guy that, that's, that's uh, a positive addition to be on the roster this season. So let's look and let's turn our attention more to players to watch for this season because obviously we know the big names, right? The Isaiah Pacheco, the Bo Melton, uh, Tyshawn Fogg, you know, of course, eligibility-wise, you know, we'll see what happens with that, but Brendan White coming over as a safety from Ohio State. We know those are the big names that people are going to have an eye on, right? Big things are expected, obviously, from Isaiah Pacheco now going into his uh, junior season. He's obviously expected to really carry the load at the running back position, a position of depth for Rutgers, don't get me wrong, Um, but still, he's expected to be the bell cow uh, of this team, you know, potentially touching the ball 20 to 25 to even 30 times a game. Bo Melton, obviously the most experienced wide receiver. Um, he's expected to take that next step. You know, he had a couple touchdown catches last season, obviously that big one against Ohio State, um, and that one against UMass in the first game that really got that offense moving. Uh, but he's expected to continue to progress now in his senior season. Tyshawn Fogg, same thing. He's, you know, really the leader of that defense. He's his captain. Uh, he's expected, or was a team captain, um, last season, he's expected to, again, be the leader for this defense. And, of course, Brendan White coming over from Ohio State. People think he might be already the best defensive player on the roster, having not even played a game yet for Rutgers. But who are you looking at as players? It could be them. It could be others. To that, that Who are you looking at uh, and who are you watching closely? Who do you think could be one of those couple of players to, you know, either take the next step or who could really emerge as a leader, or who could emerge as, you know, a go-to player, both offensively or defensively, uh, for this Rutgers team in, in Shiano's first year, and someone that, you know, might be flying under the radar that could, you know, make really a big impact this season. Yeah, well, it, you know, it really is a season of unknowns, and I think that, um, you know, it, it, it um, gives Shiano the, the, the benefit of testing guys uh, in situations that maybe in the past he wouldn't have been as willing to do so. So I think you are going to see some younger guys get their shot. Um, you know, I think one interesting um, position switch that we didn't touch on yet was uh, Peyton Powell, the transfer from Baylor, uh, who was a quarterback, uh, left Baylor because he wanted to stay a quarterback. Uh, you know, he was recruited to Baylor by Fran Brown, the uh, uh, safeties coach for Rutgers, who's an outstanding recruiter and great on-field coach. Um, and now he's been shifted to defensive back. You know, um, the, the defensive backs, they're, they're extremely uh, – there's not a lot of depth there. I think that Trey Avery is a guy we've heard about for a couple of years, uh, former Ohio State recruit, um, you know, has a lot of potential. I'm really excited to see what he can do this year, if he can stay healthy. Like you mentioned, Brendan White. Um, I think that uh, Peyton Powell is a guy that could get on the field pretty quick. You know, Shiano did emphasize on the call yesterday that he really feels like they've improved their speed. And I think Powell's the guy that brings that, um, and I think to find a spot pretty quickly. Um, I think as well, um, offensively, on, on that side of the ball, uh, you're looking for uh, you know receivers uh, who can contribute uh, that haven't in the past. I think one freshman that uh, you know, came in as an athlete that was probably thought to maybe be on the defensive side of the ball is Robert Longerbeam. He was, uh, he's listed as a wide receiver. He has a ton of speed, so that's a guy that you know I could see kind of standing out from day one uh and i'm really excited just to see the offense in general i think you know my big thing is just with the coaching staff and i think offensively with gleason uh you know like you mentioned there, there's some pieces there with pacheco and melton um and i think uh um you know isaiah washington back i i, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they're utilized um how they're put in certain spots um and then again how they fit in kind of uh you know, some of the younger guys. So I think longer being the guy that, that could get uh, some looks early on offensively and, and, and be able to contribute right away. Um, another guy on defense that uh, has had a huge uh, just weight gain that I noticed on the roster was uh, uh, Zucudo uh, Iguanagu. Uh, hopefully I didn't butcher that, but he was the top recruit out of uh, Massachusetts um, in his class. And I thought from when they signed him, he was a, you know, he's a, he's a raw talent. Um, that doesn't have a ton of experience, but athletically has all the traits um, that you're looking for. And he's listed as a linebacker, so I'm really going to be uh, intrigued to see how someone like him develops under Shiano and, and uh, Rob Smith over time. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it, you, how I think two questions are how the veterans are going to uh, perform uh, in terms of how they're better utilized, and then which young guys are going to be able to step up with an opportunity, because I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for um, the younger players to step in and have a role, uh, especially with the lack of depth 
um, and and the predictability of injuries uh, that, that probably will occur. So I think the two deep that we get on Monday will be obviously important, um, but I think there's going to be a lot of players that potentially aren't on there that could still contribute this season. And, you know, for me, and one of them you mentioned, obviously Isaiah Washington, you need that second receiver to step up alongside Bo Melton and that and Isaiah Washington is going to be the guy that the uh, that the that Sean Gleason and, and Greg Schiano and Tyquan Underwood are going to look at um, as that number two to at least begin the year. Look, he I believe started a, most of the season, if not all of the season last year. Looking at his stats, he had 18 catches, you know, almost 300 yards receiving as a freshman, had a touchdown. He's going to be looked at as the guy to step up alongside Bo Melton as that number two because you need that other weapon, you know, on the outside. If, if all you have is Melton, teams are going to be, when Rutgers is throwing the ball, shading that way, trying to just take Melton out of the game, making sure that he doesn't beat them deep. You need Isaiah Washington to step up to also draw coverage so that it can make it easier for Melton to get open. And then, you know, vice versa, Melton can make it easier for Isaiah Washington to get open as well. And I'm also looking at the tight end group because that's a group that, you know, has struggled in the past few years, a a group that was looked at as not having much depth. They have more depth this year. Um, Obviously, Matt Alamo comes back as the starter. Um, You have Giovanni Haskins, um, who comes over as a transfer. Um, Again, we have to wait to see his eligibility, but he's, you know, if eligible, is expected to make an impact. Jonathan Lewis, you know, someone who transferred to tight end last season, then hurt himself and was out for the year. What kind of impact does he make as well? Because he's someone who was thought to be a natural transition over to tight end because of the size that he has, um, you know, his just offensive knowledge of being a quarterback. Um, You know, he was thought to, you know, if he was healthy last year, someone who could make an impact. So it'll be interesting to see what he does as well. And obviously Victor Kanopka too um, at the tight end spot. So I think when you're looking at offensively, who needs to step up? I said Washington and that tight end group. Because if you can get consistent play, both blocking and receiving-wise, out of that tight end group, then you have a security blanket for whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Vedral, Langan, Sitkowski, Snyder, Simon, whoever it might be. If you can get that tight end group to go, look, you looked at, you know, you look at how reliable Tyler Croft was when he was here at Rutgers. He was a security blanket for whoever the quarterback was. If you could get a tight end play like that, maybe not up to the ability of Tyler Croft is an NFL tight end who's made a great career for himself. But if you can get a tight end, be it a Lamo, a Lewis, uh, a Haskins, to be that security blanket for whatever the quarter or whoever the quarterback is, that'll be a huge sigh of relief for this offense, knowing that in a passing situation, if you need a big completion, if it's third and four, third and five, you can have that tight you could have that tight end to go to to ultimately move the chains and keep the drive going. Yeah, definitely. I think the tight end group is certainly intriguing. I think, you know, there's there's also no fullbacks listed on the roster, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if Gleason, you know, utilizes some of the tight ends in certain packages uh, almost as a fullback in certain situations. But, yeah, I think Haskins is really intriguing if he's eligible. You know, he, he, had, uh, he had some moments in West Virginia. Um, you know, he was a huge recruit uh, back in the day out of New Jersey. So um, it's always good to see transfers come back to Rutgers that are from New Jersey. And if they can have success, I think it really helps in recruiting and kind of making that kind of statement. And I think, you know, at, at 6'5", 250, he has the size. And I'm sure he's, he's uh, in the plans. Uh, to be able to, to be a focal point of the offense. And, and um, yeah, I, I just I think the offense, you know, th- there's reason to be excited. Um, I don't expect them to uh, be uh, um, barn burners or anything, but I think the, the fast, the up-tempo style, the spread offense, it's finally we're going to have a modern offense. Um, I think Gleason's going to have the opportunity to build continuity, um, which Rutgers has lacked over, you know, over a decade uh, in changing coordinators year over year. And I think um, just the, the fact that the last two seasons they averaged under 14 points per game, uh, you know, you're not going to win many games with that. And just how they've really hurt the defense uh, the past two seasons with um, not being able to sustain drives. It's really worn out the defense in Big Ten play. So I think, you know, really, if we could just have an av- a close-to-average offense um, that can score close to 20 points a game and, and put together some drives, um, you know, I think will be a huge difference for the defense and just the team overall and give them a much better chance to be competitive and, and be in games that they haven't been in the past. So, Aaron, can you give me your group, your position group, be it offense or defense, one position group that you think – is 
solid, one position group that you think is going to be really a, a real leader for this team, and one position group that that you're worried about, one position group that you know you you worry about depth, you worry about you know just just skill in that group. What would those two position groups be? One that you're you're really confident in, and one that's obviously on the other end of the spectrum. Well, running back is I think you know between Isaiah Pacheco, Aaron Young, and K. Ryan Adams is is a really uh, solid one, two, three uh, group there. I think they'll all get an opportunity to play. Um, you know, I, I really have high hopes for Pacheco. I really think he's an all ten, uh, all Big Ten type running back. Uh, I think that he, you know, if you look at his stats in the last two years, it's pretty remarkable what he's even been able to do, averaging four yards to carry with, with really no quarterback help, no offensive line help. Um, so I really think he's the guy that could be a breakout star this year. But Aaron Young and John Adams have a lot of potential as well. And I think, you know, uh, short passes out of the backfield um, is something we'll see more of too. Um, and uh, maybe it's a cop-out, but I also think linebacker is a position that, that Rutgers is really deep on, has some talent, um, and that could be a really good uh, position group for them on the defensive end, uh, you know, obviously led by Tyshawn Fogg. But, you know, you have guys like uh, Fadakazi and um, uh, Battle that have been there for a few years now, and I think they could be in a better position to really make an impact this season. Um, and, you know, a guy like Tyreen Powell is a freshman that I think could really uh, stand out. And, you know, even, I mean, we're not even talking about Tyreek Maddox-Williams, who's a three-year starter. So um, I think the depth at that position is greater than it's been. Um, and then in terms of concerns, I think it's, you know, listen, football is game in, uh, a game that's won in the trenches. Um, and I think both lines are a major concern. I think offensive line more so. Uh, you know, they really need to establish some um, their, their best five, and they need to stay healthy because of any position group, if there's depth issues with injuries, um, you know, the offensive line could get real thin real quick. Um, and I think defensively, you know, defensive line has struggled. Um, you know, do they have the size to be able to create a, kind of a push and, and a pass rush um, and be able to stop the run that they haven't been able to do consistently in years past? I think part of that, like I said, was them getting worn down. But they, they have to be able to establish a pass rush. Rutgers hasn't had it in so long. And that's why I think you'll see the play calling on defense much more aggressive. I think you'll see, you know, some safety blitzes. I think you'll see some players in different positions than they're used to, we're used to seeing. And I think they're really going to have to get creative week to week in, in the game planning and uh, what they throw at other teams. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with, with everything you said. I think um, one group that worries me is probably the secondary, right? You know, you look at a guy like Brendan White, if eligible, he's obviously a huge help. You have experience at the corner positions and, you know, Avery Young and Trey Avery. And, of course, barring, you know, Trey Avery being healthy. Um, but really, after that, you, you have, you know, Christian Eisen. But after that, you really don't have much. I think that group, while there's talent at the top of it, it lacks depth. And I think if you, you know, in this strange and unusual year we talked about how, and I think we've seen it in the NFL, you know, injuries could very well be prevalent this year because of the condensed off-season, you know, training schedule. So if injuries do become a factor, especially in that defensive back group, you could be relying on freshmen, you know, look at a guy like Max Melton, uh, a guy like Chris Long, um, an Eli Mack, a Peyton Powell, who really hasn't played much in, in his college career, if at all. If injuries do become a problem, then, you know, you're relying on guys who... Um, who haven't had much experience. And, you know, if that ends up happening, then, you know, that secondary, while it's talented at the top, it could regress if you, in talent-wise, at least at the beginning, if you do have to insert those players who don't have as much experience as obviously the top guys do. I think in terms of, of groups that you know, are really going to be strengths for this team. I think the biggest strength last season, as it has been for the last couple of years for Rutgers, and I'm going to group it all together, has been special teams. You know, you look at um, Corsak, obviously an, an all-Big Ten punter, you know, probably should have won the Ray Guy Award last year. How he didn't, you know, remains to be seen. But he was, if not the best, one of the best punters in the country last year, and he's obviously back. And he's a huge weapon, and obviously you don't want your punter to be your biggest weapon. But, you know, with Rutgers' offensive struggles last season, we saw how lethal he could be pinning the opposing team back inside their 20. I mean, his Australian-style punting really came in huge for Rutgers in games. You know, I remember that Iowa game. I believe it was the third game of the season, second or third game of the season, whatever it was. You know, he was huge, and he kept Rutgers in. He, the offense wasn't gelling. The defense was obviously on the field a lot, but he 
so often in that first half specifically before Iowa really tired out Rutgers defense in the second half. In that first half, he was pinning Iowa within the 20, within the 15, within the 10, time after time after time. And then you got Justin Davidovic as well. You know, obviously an experienced kicker, very reliable on field goals, very reliable on extra points. He's someone also that you could expect to have a big season. And like you said, you know, if Rutgers just has an average offense, and that doesn't mean scoring a touchdown every single drive. If you could just get it inside the red zone or get it close to, you have Davidovitz who could be a reliable kicker and who could at least, at the worst, put three points on the board. So I think that's huge for the offense and for this points per game average to go up just to get the ball within Davidovitz's range because he has a leg. He's a very strong leg, and he has the accuracy to make it from, you know, 40, 45. And, I, you know, I think one time we even saw 50-plus. So if you could get within a range for him, I think the special teams group as a whole could really be a huge weapon, both pinning the opposing team as well as at least getting three points on the board for this Rutgers offense. And, you know, one other one that I want to throw out there um, before we move on to the quarterback position is, you know, the tight end group. I think the tight end group, as we talked about, could kind of go either way, right? You look at Matt Alemo, you look at Jonathan Lewis, you look at Giovanni Haskins if he if he's eligible. You know, Matt Alemo came in, transferred from UCLA, a lot of expectations for him, obviously been the starter the last couple of years, but you'd like to see him take that next step and, and really be a nice target offensively. Same thing with Jonathan Lewis, obviously transitioned over from quarterback. Could he, you know, be a guy who makes an impact now that he's healthy? And of course, Giovanni Haskins had some moments at West Virginia. Could he come over with Power 5 experience and, and make an impact and help settle this tight end group down? If they could do that, if this tight end group could be something, as I said before, then that's just another weapon for the quarterback, whoever it might be, um, to really use, especially on third and short or third and mediums to get that completion to ultimately move the chains. And now that kind of transitions me to the quarterback position because like like every year at Rutgers, that's the biggest question. And you have really three guys, I think, vying for that quarterback position. Um, you, of course, have Cole Snyder and Evan Simon as well, but the three main guys going for it are Art Sitkowski, Noah Vedral, and Johnny Langan. And, you know, all three bring different things. You know, Sitkowski is more of that pocket passer, um, has a big arm. Obviously, we've seen the inconsistency with Sitkowski throughout his career. Uh, Vedral coming over from Nebraska. And he seems to be like a more logical fit for the Gleason offense and has, of course, Big Ten and Power Five experience. And Johnny Langan having taken over for Art Sitkowski after Art decided to redshirt last year, you know, doesn't have the biggest arm, but Johnny Langan, you know, is probably the toughest player on the team. Who do you think going forward has the upper hand at the quarterback position for this team? And who do you ultimately think will end up starting game one for Rutgers against Michigan State? Uh, well, um, Real quick, to, to go back to what you just said, I totally agree with special teams. I think uh, Davidovich, you're preaching to the choir. I think he's going to be a breakout star this year. Uh, he just needs the opportunities, but um, I think he's going to have a, a great season. And I think one thing on special teams we're going to see more of now is, is a more aggressive uh, attitude, um, You know, getting back to the, the philosophy and culture of blocking kicks uh, as much as possible, which uh, Rutgers was always a, uh, a leader in college football under Shiano uh, in the past. So I'm excited to see that again. Um, specifically about quarterback, I think that you know it, it was interesting yesterday with, with um, Shiano's answer to the question he does you know and 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 for those that remember his first tenure you know he he does have a history of kind of tinkering with the position um and naming a starter and not necessarily giving them a very long leash uh those that remember the tom savage chaz dodd era uh um things like that so i think that this year like i said he really has um the room to be experimental i think you know on paper, you would think that Noah Vidral has the upper hand, at least initially, based on his experience uh, in a spread offense uh, when he was recruited and uh, was at uh, Central Florida under Scott Frost and went to Nebraska, uh, played a, a few games last year for Nebraska, uh, won a key game at Minnesota. Uh, um, uh, believe it was Minnesota, so um, and I could be mistaken on that, uh, but I know that he had a, a big moment last year for them, uh, and he's a more mobile quarterback than Sikowski. I think Sikowski, you know, has the better arm for sure. I think he showed promise in his last couple starts last season, um, but this system is completely different from what he's accustomed to. Uh, Rucker is going to be looking to do an up-tempo, almost no huddle at times. Um, and they need a quarterback that's going to be mobile, especially with this offensive line. So I 
think Vajral will be the guy to start the season. But again, I think that Shiano made it pretty clear uh, he's he's not going to um, you know uh, be shy about changing things up based on either the matchup or whatever he thinks gives him the best opportunity to win week over week. I think Langan, you know, might have uh, special packages put in for him just based on his skill set. Um, but I would be very surprised if we didn't see all three quarterbacks at some point this season. Yeah, I agree with you uh, with Noah Vedral. You know, that's why you bring in a graduate transfer. And not only is he a graduate transfer, but he's a graduate transfer with two years available. So, you know, you could realistically, if he does become the starter and is starting uh, that first game and, you know, is impressive and puts up a good year with Rutgers, regardless of what the record is, he could be that two-year starter for, for these first couple years for Shiano before they ultimately make a transition uh, to someone younger. So that's why I think they brought in Vedral. I think he, you know, like we've been talking about, fits that Sean Gleason system. Obviously, Art Sidkowski uh, came into a completely different system than what is being installed now. Um, and he is more of a pocket kind of passer. Obviously, has a very good arm, and I agree with you. You know, I was at that Michigan game, that final game of the season that he started right before Chris Ash was fired, and, you know, I was impressed with what I saw. Even though there were no points on the board, I thought he looked like a different quarterback than he did his freshman year. Uh, you know, he didn't get much help from his teammates, specifically the offensive line. He was getting really abused back there every time he dropped back to pass, but I was impressed with what I was more impressed with what I saw from Art than what I saw um, his freshman year, but I think Vedral just makes the most sense. I think he's has experience. I think he knows, and you know, granted he's never played under Gleason or Shiano, but he knows, you know, the logistics and the basics of a spread offense and a more of an up tempo offense. So I think he just makes the most sense, and he he just he seems like the best fit to run this Sean Gleason offense. So Aaron, I want to just get to now overall predictions for this season because look, it, it is a weird season. It's an eight game season. Um, it's it's a season that's going to be that you really you know I want to get your prediction, but it's going to be hard to predict anything this season because you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, one team could have an outbreak, one team could deal with injuries, and boom, that changes the whole landscape of the Big Ten around. So, just what are you, I guess, expecting to see from Rutgers this year that we maybe didn't expect to see last year, uh, maybe that we didn't see last year, and just what's your overall record prediction that you think Rutgers will be, you know, once this season comes and goes. Well, I wrote about it recently, and I, I, I truly believe that I think expectations really need to be, uh, you know, kept in check this season. I think the, the, you know, the unpredictability of the season, like you mentioned, with, with the COVID situation, um, and also I think just with the, the, the way the off season was, I mean, um, with this coaching staff taking over a program and not being able to be on the practice field for the first nine months, um, you know, and even the tr- training camp. Uh, you know, isn't a traditional training camp being that school's already in session. I get that every Big Ten team had to deal with that, but for for first-year staff, um, even though there is some continuity with, with, um, you know, some of the coaches that have worked for Shiano before, it's still a major challenge. I think, you know, they've upgraded uh, some frontline talent with the transfers. Um, I think that, you know, you'll certainly see, listen, I I think being happy that we're going to see a more competent product on the field is is progress. as you know, I, I think it's we have to come to grips with the reality that Rutgers is the past two seasons was the worst Power Five program in the country. So I think you know progress can be marked on the fact that that's not going to be who they are this year. I think um, you know e- even just a, a, a team that uh, you know goes one and seven. I, I think there, there could be things that happen on the field. I think. You know, looking at how this team is from game one to the, the end of the season, you know, which players, you know, weren't factors last season that, you know, really developed as this season went on. Those are things to hang your hat on and, and to look for that I think, you know, if Rutgers can accomplish some of that uh, uh, this season, uh, really makes year one for Shiano success. I do think perception-wise, they need to win a game. They need to uh, end this uh, dreaded uh, almost two dozen uh, Big Ten losing streak I think for perception-wise, for recruiting-wise, um, that's important. But I think overall, just establishing the culture um, and, and really developing some um, player development, uh, you know, continuity for, for the following seasons. And, you know, someone like Pedro, like you mentioned, yes, he's, he's listed as a senior. Like you said, he comes in with two years of eligibility. But the reality is with this year, you know, he could be here for three years. So um, does Rutgers find guys like that? Uh, um, that that can kind of have a stronghold on a position um, for years to come. It would really benefit the program long term 
uh, in this rebuild if they're able to identify guys that are going to be long-term contributors the next two, three seasons. So um, overall, you know, I think it's unfair to, to place uh, too high expectations on this team. Um, I really think anything more than two wins would be um, really uh, phenomenal. I, I think that, you know, also another way to judge this program is, is how they compete against the Blue Bloods. Are they more competitive? You know, uh, they've just been embarrassed year over year against teams like uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, so that's something to look for. Um, and I think just being overall competitive overall. Um, but I think you have upgraded frontline talent. You're going to have better coaching. But the real uh, issue is avoiding injuries, avoiding issues with COVID, because I think once you start getting into the depth uh, and, and you're losing those frontline guys, um, they're really going to be challenged to be competitive because, uh, unfortunately, they just don't have the depth at this point. Um, but I think there's certainly signs that this program's headed in the right direction. Um, and anything positive that happens this season, I think, should be embraced and welcomed, especially after the last two seasons of what we've seen. Uh, so, um, I, I, I'm, my prediction, I, if, you know, uh, I would say one in seven uh, with the possibility of two and six. Anything more than that, I would be shocked. Um, but I think that it's also a year of unknowns. You know, who knows how, what teams are going to be like coming in um, with how they're handling injuries and COVID. So it, it could be a really fun year. I think that first week, you know, everyone's going to be on the edge of their seats to see uh, what this team looks like against Michigan State. Really, none of us know what to expect uh, in a certain degree. Uh, so I think um, it's, it's certainly going to be, if you have the right attitude, I think it could be a really fun season. Um, it, it, just to see how this team performs and, and obviously uh, the building blocks that are established in Shiano's first year of his second tenure. Yeah, I think for me, I think you're going to see three things specifically. I think you're going to see a faster team. I think you're going to see a more fundamentally sound team. And I think you're going to see a more competitive team. Um, because like you said, you know, Greg Shiano is back. They've upgraded uh, the frontline talent. Obviously, the depth still takes you know a couple of years to really build. Um, but you know they've brought over guys. As long as all eligibility works out, they've brought over guys who have Power Five experience, who know what it's like to play in the Big Ten, who know what it's like to win in the Big Ten. Um, I think you know you're going to see a faster team with the more up tempo offense. Um, you're going to see obviously with Sean Gleason, whoever the quarterback is, they're going to want to you know they're going to want to move fast. They're going to want to you know run no huddle at times. I'm sure most of the time, frankly. Um, they have obviously a lot of returning playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, which we've named, you know, Pacheco, Melton, Young, um, Adams, Washington, the tight ends. You know, we, we've talked about that. Um, is it going to be as fast as uh, Drew Merringer was, you know, in Chris Ash's first year? I don't know if it's going to be that fast. I'm sure I'm sure Sean Gleason would maybe like to get to a point where Rutgers is humming on offense, play after play after play. Um, but, you know, they're going to, this staff is going to work with what they have. Um, they're not going to try to force something onto a group that they don't think can do it. Um, and, and I think that's where the fun, the more fundamentally sound uh, team will come. You know, this is a great staff that Greg Shiano put together. Probably the best staff that Rutgers has ever had. This staff knows how to win. They've all had plenty of Power 5 experience. They've Most of them have at least in one capacity or other, be it as a player or as a coach, have experience with Greg Schiano, have experience here at Rutgers, and know what it's like to win at Rutgers and know what it takes to win at Rutgers. And I think that's where a more fundamentally sound team is going to come into play. I think they will finish 2-6. and six. I think the frontline talent, I think the change of scheme here at Rutgers um, will, will help. Um, especially in a year where, look, Rutgers hasn't been able to really game plan for a lot of these teams that they're fl- that they're playing, but a lot of these teams haven't really been able to game plan for Rutgers. So there really is no advantage going to one school over the other with this, you know, condensed training camp. Um, I'm excited to see what ultimately comes about this season. You know, I'm just frankly excited that we're going to have a season. Um, but, you know, I'm with you. The Greg Schiano's back, it's great, but expectations can't be raised just because Greg Schiano's back. If you're expecting three, four wins, I think that's, you know, well, that would be great. And if they somehow get to, you know, above two wins, fantastic. But I think two is is probably uh, the, the most reason, one or two, I should say, are, are the most reasonable expectations um, for the group, I think the the sports books have them at over under one and a half. So you can you could take uh you know you take that with you know however you want if you're into betting or not. Um, but that's what the sports books have them at, and and frankly I have them as over. I have them as two. I think they find a way to win, be it you know 
Michigan State, Purdue, Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, whoever it might be, I think they find a way to scratch out too just because of the upgrades that Greg Schiano has already made both with the staff and with the players and just because, you know, the scheme has changed. And this is, frankly, a new Rutgers team, a team, a Rutgers team that the other Big Ten opponents, frankly, aren't used to playing. So, Aaron, before we go, one last question I have to ask for you. Just how excited are you that, you know, we're back talking about football, that Big Ten football is returning? You know, we've been stuck watching these other conferences for the last – you know, however many weeks, but now we're finally going to get Rutgers football back, albeit with no fans, but just to watch Greg Schiano return to the banks, to watch these players go out and, and play an opponent, and to just be able to sit down on a Saturday afternoon and, and once again watch Rutgers football. I, I'm pumped. I think it's, uh, I have no problem uh, assuming that I'm speaking for everyone that, you know, it's a, it's a huge uh, welcome development uh, just, you know, with, with the reality of the world right now and, and uh, I mean, I'll be honest, mental health, just in terms of, you know, not having a lot to look forward to that's in the outside world. So having sports back, you know, it has been a little strange, uh, to be honest, watching games without fans. But I think, hey, you know, we'll take what we can get. And I think, yeah, seeing uh, Greg Schiano on the sidelines, Rutgers football again with a new era, uh, you know, trying to uh, rebuild this program, you know, it's, it's, it's time. Let's, let's get going. And, um, you know, whatever this season brings, I think that, you know, it shouldn't change uh, any optimism uh, that everyone should have for the future. I think, you know, the way that he was uh, ended up coming back and how it united the fan base in a way I don't think has ever happened before uh, was so encouraging. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing that kind of uh, simmer back up over uh, what's happened the last few months, obviously, with COVID. It, it was uh, really kind of knocked momentum backwards. Um, but I think that uh, having them back on the field is, is, is going to be a, a way to get the fan base really excited once again. And I think, you know, just speaking to, to what you were just saying, I, I think finishing strong is going to be really important to how this season uh, is remembered. I think, you know, having Maryland in that last game and then you have the Big Ten, um, you know, divisional series or whatever they're calling it uh, with championship uh, week. Uh, you know, th- those are two back-to-back games that Rutgers is going to have a chance to win. Uh, so I think, you know, winning one of those or, or obviously being uh, showing that they're, they're finishing the season a much better team than they started and have been in years past is just going to be um, momentum that's needed uh, to build it for, for the following season. But, yeah, it's uh, I, I'm looking forward to arguing about uh, surrender punts and uh, <laughs> field position and play calling and, you know, uh, who should be getting more playing time. Um, you know, it, it's certainly been a challenge navigating uh, a site during this time uh, when so many real-world problems exist and, and not a lot of sports to talk about. So certainly um, I've, I've lost a few more hairs on my head, and I'm, I'm excited to uh, be arguing with, uh, you know, and debating Rutgers fans uh, about, about this team moving forward. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to next Saturday and sitting back and, and just – Whatever happens, just enjoying that, like you said, that they're on the field and, and we get to root for and And, and I'll, I'll throw in one old-timer point. Hopefully they're wearing scarlet helmets uh, and the, the white helmets are retired. But uh, <laughs> to watching this team uh, once again, and obviously there's a lot of reason for hope uh, in, in the return of Greg Schiano. Rutgers opens up the season October 24th, you know, next Saturday. Um, against Michigan State in East Lansing at noon. I know we'll all be watching. We'll all be sitting at home uh, cheering for Rutgers, screaming at our TVs. And like you said, you know, the next couple days afterwards, we'll be debating and arguing and giving all our thoughts. But look, that's what it's like being a Rutgers fan. And I'm glad, win or lose, that we get to watch Rutgers football uh, once again for this coming season. Aaron, thank you so much for joining me. As always, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving me some time. Uh, thanks for the great job, Lance. Keep it up, and uh, look forward to all the um, all the guests you have on this season. Follow on the banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search on the banks podcast.